The following podcast may contain inappropriate language, sexual content, and spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Gonzo.moe No Name Anime Show. I am your host, JP, and today I'm joined by special guest Evan Minto. How are you doing? Hey, not too bad. Thanks for having me. This is, of course, the, the No Name Anime Show. You can find it on Gonzo.moe. It is a one-hour discussion-type podcast. We talk about anything from news, reviews. Sometimes we take Twitter, Twitter questions. Twitter questions. Yeah, Twitter questions. Uh, this week, we're talking all about labor in the anime localization industry. And that is because Evan recently wrote an article about that called The Battle for Union Anime Dubs. came out on Anime News Network on March 28th. Uh, but we should probably say, who, who is Evan Minto? Uh, yeah, hi. I am uh, a bunch of things nowadays. Uh, I am a podcaster and blogger at AnnieGamers.com. I write for uh, occasionally for Anime News Network. I'm... Uh, I would say used to write for Otaku USA at this point, but who knows? Maybe I'll, I'll head back there again. And I also am uh, one of the co-founders of Azuki, a manga subscription service. With that in mind, we need to make this very clear because I'm also bound to say probably more radical things than you, uh, that anything on this show uh, does not necessarily represent the views of uh, Azuki or any of the other companies you work for, or even necessarily you, if I say something crazy. Well, yeah, well, well, the things I say, to be clear, like I wrote this article that has no relationship to Azuki. It's, it's just me doing my, uh, my anime writing journalism stuff independently of that. So, yeah. So this article, uh, it kind of went a little viral. Uh, yeah. Specifically <laughs> a excerpt that a uh, mutual friend of ours, Sasa Riker, posted mm-hmm. uh which wasn't uh it's what is it michael schwalb i believe is his name it was a quote you used from him saying as a oh goodness let me see as a voice actor uh jujitsu kaisen's english voice actors were likely paid 150 to 600 dollars each based on the going rate in the industry not per hour that is the total amount and this was uh, about the movie that just came out jujitsu kaisen zero i believe yeah, it was kind of uh, just in terms of the reaction. It was like interesting that that was that was a tweet that that like I think Lindsay, uh, my editor at ANN, pointed it out to me, and we just included it in there. It was already on Twitter, but I guess like through the article, people like got extra attention on that you know that thread that that he posted. Uh, and yeah, I mean it's shocking. Like that number is that puts such a fine point on it. I'm very glad we included it in there because it, it really like highlights what the article is talking about. So I wanted to talk to you about how the article came about, because this isn't the first time people have talked about, uh, you know, anime dubbing rates. I wrote a story in 2018. Granted, nobody reads my website. Uh, there was another website called We Got It Covered that put out an article a couple weeks before you. Was there a specific event that triggered this? My understanding, and I, I was looking into this for the article uh, is that it basically started from a Stephanie Shea tweet. I could be wrong that like somebody else might have brought it up first, but I think there's been a discussion about like they're you know trying to have more union dubs in anime, but it was basically right after the new Crunchyroll Funimation uh, arrangement was announced that mm-hmm. Stephanie Shea, the, the voice actor, uh, said, "Hey, now that they're coming together, can we have some union dubs?" And then that like sparked a whole Twitter conversation, and and then I think. Probably we got it covered, and ANN both for the same reason. We're like, hey, there's a conversation going on. Let's report on this. So, so for in my case, it was it was Lindsay who kind of pitched to me and said, like, hey, we want to do some reporting on this. Can you write about it? Nice, yeah. uh, and it, it is great that this is getting more uh, coverage because this is something that we've known about mm-hmm. a long time as anime fans, and more or less kind of swept under the rug or just you know, pretended it wasn't going on. Uh, you, you had mentioned in a tweet, I, I don't know if this was last year or a couple of years ago, that anime fans have this weird relationship with capitalism. 
Yeah, there, there's been this historical attitude that anime fans have, especially when talking about um, the Japanese side. I think it applies somewhat to the U.S. side, too. But when talking about, like, animators getting underpaid, where there's this attitude of, like, well, if they just had more money, then, then that money would make it back to the animators. And that it's, it was interesting to me at the time, the, the like, tweet I posted, uh, just think, noticing that people were saying that even when they would not kind of apply that same logic to, like, Amazon or something, <laughs> right? And it's like, ultimately, this is capitalism, and these are companies that have, like, the same kind of material interests as Amazon. Uh, yeah, so, like, they're gonna... The trickle-down economics is is not going to work for them either. It's going to end up, you know, the money's going to end up at the top. <laughs> yeah, I, I forget who said it, but I know there was uh, either an article or a tweet recently-ish within the last year or so of somebody saying that the Netflix anime, while the budgets are higher, the people down the the ladder aren't seeing that extra money. Right, because... Why, why would they if you're like the CEO of a company, unless you're one of the very rare CEOs that is like willing to kind of give up, you know, leave money on the table because you care about your employees, like that more money, like why would you, why would you reduce your profit margins by paying your employees more? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I mean, it's, it's horrible, right? But it's the, that is like the kind of the primary goal of every company, right? Is increase the profit margins. So I misremembered that tweet and... Uh, started attributing it to some of my own feelings about anime fans and capitalism and just like how a big part of being an anime fan is that we love to buy things. Mm -hmm. We we love showing off our collection. You know, we love showing the the figures, the DVDs, the DVDs, Blu-rays, mm -hmm. you know, all the manga that we have. We We create these entire events devoted to buying more stuff. You know, anime conventions in a lot of ways, this is a radical thing to say, but they're essentially free marketing for anime companies. That's that's true. I would maybe defend anime cons a little bit by saying I think a lot of what people really like about anime cons is not actually the like direct consumption of the anime part. It's actually the like interaction with other fans part. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm saying this is somebody that loves Mm. Anime, like I am so excited to go to Otakon. I almost, this is insane. I almost turned down the biggest job offer I've ever gotten because I was worried I wouldn't get to go to Otakon. Like it's a big deal to me, but it is still a very like marketing yeah, event. Yeah. Whether or not we actively realize we're participating in it, participating in it or not. Um, and there was also, I want to say it was Crunchyroll that that started this this slogan about like support the creators. You watch the anime, and it goes to such and such. And I, again, especially as somebody that works in the entertainment industry, I'm totally for supporting the creators. I don't want to have this like misunderstood. But it almost like felt like that was being weaponized for a while. Like if you didn't watch it a certain way, that you were a bad fan. When ultimately the money is just going to the producers. It's not like the animator that made a really cool scene is getting a royalty check because we watched it. Well, that's the part that makes all of this very complicated. And, and it's, uh, you, I mean, I think I mentioned in that, that Twitter thread you referenced something about this, that like you can kind of, there's a similar tension even to stuff like Uber, right? It's like, okay, so you, you don't like the way Uber mistreats their employees. And so the only lever you have as a consumer uh, maybe not the only lever, but but generally the lever that, that you have available to you at any given time is just to like use or not use the product and not yeah. using it, it does mean not paying the drivers, yeah. right? Like, but what other, like you're not faced with an option where you can like pay the drivers but not Uber, right? And so yeah. like you don't have an option where you're like pay the animators but not the producer. Yeah, <laughs> unless they have like a, Patreon. I know Trigger right, right. had a Patreon for a while. It is, it's a tricky thing in anime because while, well, maybe not anymore, while a Monopoly technically, legally might not exist, even on a smaller level, a lot of these shows are a de facto Monopoly. If I want to get Grappler Baki, I have no choice but to buy it from Sentai Filmworks, regardless of my feelings about that company, mm -hmm. which we'll learn are not very positive as this podcast goes on. I wanted that on Blu-ray. I had to give John Ledford money. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. It's, it, there's not a way to you know, send an email like, but I also hate you. Yeah, I mean, my kind of maybe slightly more 
uh, maybe sounds kind of doomer-ish, but like my kind of perspective on this is just, I don't think, I think that fans are kind of, for very good reasons, they want to find like a consumerist solution to Mm -hmm. the problem because like they're consumers and they want to do something. They want to help. But I don't think that's where the solutions are. I think like consumerism, any, any version of it is, is like, you know, playing into the hands of the bosses and like the solution, which ties into what this whole podcast is really about. Right. The solution has to come from workers. And I think that like the way fans, what I always tell people is the way fans can get involved is to do what workers who are struggling for more power and money in their workplace, do what they tell you to do. Mm -hmm. If they want you to like boycott something in support of them, then boycott it. If they want you to like protest it or, or buy it, sometimes, you know, workers on strike or who are protesting something actually want you to like buy stuff from the company, right? Like whatever, whatever they're demanding, like do that, follow the lead of workers. Yeah. I, I think that was, uh, cause I'm a IATSE member Mm -hmm. and we almost went on strike this past year. And I I think a big part of it was like, you don't necessarily want to boycott Netflix Mm -hmm. or Amazon or all, cause you want to show them that there's a demand and you can't fill that demand cause we're all on strike. And sometimes, like, I know unions will actually want to send, like, sometimes they're kind of trying to catch more flies with honey or whatever, right? Like, they're trying to make the case, like, look at how many people support us Mm -hmm. and how many people you will lose if, like, you don't, you know, recognize the union. (laughs) Which is a good place to define what a union is. Yeah. (laughs) So I... (laughs) I got this definition on Investopedia, which I don't know what that website is, but I really (laughs) like their definition because they said it much more succinctly than I ever could. And it is that a labor union is an organization formed by workers in a particular trade, industry, or company for the purpose of improving pay, benefits, and working conditions. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, You know, having a union does not solve everything. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get really, really good pay. I'm about to do a low-budget movie that is not paying a lot of money. but that, it is, That's a union show? That is yeah. a union show. Uh, but it's still going towards... The hours I put on that is still going towards my health care. Uh, in my, my chapter particularly, if you work a certain number of hours, uh, you get, depending on the plan you get, you can either get a free plan or a very reduced monthly plan. Uh, reduced rate. It's still, they're both, I think, similar in, in what they cover. Uh, and so that's, that's one thing that if that was a non-union job, even if it paid the same rate or more would not happen. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. have any insurance of any kind. Uh, but they also have pensions. They have, you know, protections from, uh, you know, breaking late. Uh, in my union, there is a penalty if you go to lunch late and that gets bigger and bigger, the longer we delay lunch. Uh, they're also just at its basic core unions are responsible for a lot of things that we take for granted, such as weekends off. I understand that not everybody listening has weekends off, but the concept Mm -hmm. of the five day work week is a union uh, thing. The eight hour day was a union thing, 40 hours a week, kids not working in coal mines. Yeah. That's a union thing. Uh, you know, there was a really big one in early 1900s i want to say where a t-shirt factory started on fire and everybody in there died because the boss just locked them all in there because they didn't want them taking breaks yeah i think the other key part of explaining this is like well how how does the union do all that right like how do they have the power to demand these things and that's like because if and if everybody's in the union or if enough of the workers are in the union the, the chief lever the union has is they can say, if you don't give us X, then we will not work. Yeah. And then if nobody works, then the business can't get anything done. And so that's a very, very powerful lever that they have. Yes. They, they meet, uh, depending on the union, depending on the contract, they'll meet a once every, I don't know, couple years or so and agree upon a collective bargaining uh, agreement, which, again, it can be a, a number of different contracts. My union has got probably a dozen different contracts. So you're getting paid different if you're working on, I don't know, say a Steven Spielberg movie versus, you know, a $2 million horror film. Or you're getting paid different whether it's a movie or a TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And as I said, that doesn't necessarily mean you're getting good pay. There's uh, one thing that actually I had later in the outline that uh, a voice actor, uh, Sarah, or no, it was Scott Lambright, mm-hmm. uh, wanted me to mention is the concept of scale. So it, it, it defines a scale rate. And so that's a minimum wage that your union agreed upon that is usually a lot higher than if you were non-union. Uh, and that's the minimum. So it can go up. Most of the times you don't have the leverage to negotiate higher. An actor usually would say, if you're the lead in, I don't know, My Hero Academia, that's a non-union show. But if you're the lead actor in a show, you may have the ability to say, well, I know that the base rate is $87 an hour, but I want 120 Because mm-hmm. you don't have a show if I don't come in. Uh, I, I'm, I keep interjecting with like things that are good to explain because uh, this is also what I went through with writing the article. But like, I think something that's confusing for a lot of people is, okay, what does a union show and a non-union show mean? It's, I mean, the simplest answer is that it's one that signed a union contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not, uh, there's not all anime is non-union. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe Netflix is, I think that's an all-union operation. They weren't always. I think you mentioned in your article that G-Kids is like sometimes, sometimes union. Yeah, some productions are union. I'm trying to think who else now would be union. Amazon probably is. Probably. Like a lot of the big studios, yeah, like their their union, like Netflix is, like you said. Crunchyroll and Funimation probably I could not. <laughs> not find anything that was union. The only thing that I heard was was one of my sources said they were like, deciphering it from the outside and saying uh, the bl- like Blade Runner Black Lotus must have been union because of who was cast in it, but they weren't sure that it actually was. And also, I'm not sure that that was really produced by Crunchyroll. I'm not sure who really. That might have been like a... Because it was an Adult Swim Crunchyroll yeah. co-production, so it might have been union because it went through Adult Swim. Yeah, I... Because I, I talked to uh, a friend of ours who I won't mention that works at Crunchyroll, and I, I know that because there, there was Fena and Black Lotus that came out around the same mm-hmm. time. One of them was a co-pro with, with Adult Swim. The other one wasn't, and I forget. I think Black Lotus was the Adult Swim one, if I remember correctly. Um, but, but yeah, the, the union isn't going to solve any, everything. If, if you remember uh, earlier this year, my union almost went on strike, and then we decided that the terrible uh, working conditions, whatever the bad contract that they offered us, was okay. And uh, a lot of union representatives quit shortly after that. Weird coincidence. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, I think everything I hear from everybody who's in a union is like, especially in entertainment unions, is it's better to have one. But sometimes your union is weak. Sometimes you have a weak union that's not going to fight for, you know, the best that you could possibly get. Yeah, I wouldn't even necessarily say that we have a weak union. I don't know what led to it happening. I have my own theories. Uh, because if IATSE members did not show up, the entertainment industry would not happen. So I don't think it's a matter of it necessarily being a, a weak oh, thing. I yeah. think I guess my my understanding is weak in terms of like weak leadership, leadership oh, that's not willing to sure. fight the fight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't think they were necessarily listening to our uh, criticism of what was happening. But mm. this is specifically about voice acting. Uh, so the union that would be. Uh, Involved with voice acting is SAG-AFTRA, which I did not know what that full acronym meant until I read your article. Me neither. Look, trust me, this is one of those things where I came in not as an expert on this and had to just do a ton of research and learn everything I could about the union. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That is the Screen Actors Guild, Americans Federation of Television and Radio Artists. And that used to be two separate unions. They merged... I don't know, within the last decade, I think. Yeah, it was relatively recent, yeah. Um, I mean, people just call them SAG at yeah. this point because <laughs> that's like the name that people associate with it. I forgot about the after part. Yeah. I knew what Screen Actors Guild was. Uh, and, and, and they cover, I mean, like every, basically any kind of on-camera or on-microphone uh, performer. So like voice actors, uh, radio announcers, um I think it's even yeah, like motion capture artists and things like that. I think that, or motion that capture like performers. Me. Yeah, I think it's just like anybody who's kind of like a mm-hmm. who's performing. Uh, it does except, not except for theater yes, workers. That's yeah. um, equity, I think. Yeah, I think so. I think they have two. 
Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I didn't. <laughs> that was not part of my research, it, but I came across it. Yeah. It's not my expertise because I don't work on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so uh, there was a group that was formed called the Coalition of Dubbing Actors, and their primary goal was to uh, get more union dubs to happen, get contracts updated. Uh, because, and this I believe is a quote that I took from their website, dubbing is one of the hardest, lowing, lowest paying acting jobs in the business. No, Oh no, this I think I wrote this one. Uh, there's no rehearsals, shitty hours, cold reads to tape, and uh, the fans are the most critical that uh, you're going to run into. So I, I wrote that one. That was my mistake. Uh, so that's, yeah, CODA is their acronym. I, I spoke to them uh, quite a lot for for my article, and they're like, in this interesting position, they're not part of SAG-AFTRA at all in any official capacity, but many of the people who are part of CODA are members of SAG-AFTRA, but mm-hmm. they're basically just a group of voice actors who are campaigning for more shows to go union. So they're kind of, it sounds like a little, and 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 they're, they're a little critical of SAG-AFTRA. I talked about this in the article. Like they're, they, you know, when I asked them about kind of the reasons for all of, uh, for like the the low pay for voice actors, they were like they kind of pointed the finger at SAG. Like SAG did not defend voice actors and kind of set up the situation. And and Coda said, you know, we we had to fight to get mm-hmm. SAG to to give us like a better contract. Well, yeah, because dubbing used to just be like the thing you'd phone in for a, a foreign mm-hmm. film that people would joke about. Uh, what was the film? Kung Pao, right? Like right. was poorly dubbed on purpose as a joke. Uh, but then, you know, things like anime and things like video games really changed uh, how that was perceived. Yeah, it was interesting. Like in in the statement that that Coda gave me, they said anime is like a basically what changed the game on dubbing. It turned it from this kind of provincial side thing that wasn't taken seriously to something that was taken much more seriously, but still like the contract hadn't caught up, right? And the the union hadn't caught up to the fact that this was this was real acting, and I mean, it always was real acting, right? But now it was a lot more serious. It was making more money. It was, you know, there are more people watching dubbed content. Mm. The, the quote that I meant to say, this is from their site. The dubbing industry is booming and more content is being produced than ever uh, by Netflix, Amazon, Sony, and the like. With this kind of growth, there has never been a better time to make sure actors are not left behind. And uh, there's a quote from Marin Miller, who is associated with this group, Mm-hmm. Uh, and the quote is, some of us have been here getting paid the same rate for 20 years, waiting for a moment like this to speak, to spark the conversation so the right people can hear it and make the changes that we need to make things better for everyone. And that's wild because to not get a, a raise in 20 years yeah. is nuts. But there was a recent, I mean, that was that was a big part of the story is that SAG left that the same contract in place for a very long time like and 2003 2002 i think yeah yeah about 20 years and they just recently uh, i think in 2021 switched over to a new improved well yeah a little bit of horse trading taking going out on residuals it, taking out residuals good. yeah <laughs> so I, we can get into that i guess yeah so that's it i the contract the new contract has a higher base rate for for dubbing actors for the first time in 20 years it also, I mean, takes out residuals, but mm-hmm. not completely. So res- residuals are um, basically like royalties that the actor gets paid uh, based on how the the how much money the show makes uh, after they've been in it, right? So it's beyond just a base rate. It's like they continue to get a check for mm-hmm. it. Uh, this was a bit of a sticking point, especially with smaller companies and with Japanese companies is one of the things I heard. The Japanese companies would be like, scared off by the idea of having to pay the residuals so they would kind of like push back on doing a union show so the the compromise in the new contract is that uh let me make sure i have the numbers right i believe the number is 15 million it's a if if it's a uh subscription service with over 15 million subscribers or it's like a theatrical film or anything like that then there's a residuals requirement Mm. but anything like you know smaller subscription service like crunchyroll there's no direct residuals requirement but there's a buyout so the company has to pay a fee Mm -hmm. that's like representing the theoretical residuals that the the actor might get and then there's no more like continuing payments required so it's kind of like a compromise to make it easier on the the books on the company but still give the actor some compensation for the residuals. I think it's 50% of whatever okay, you got yeah. paid to do the job. But 
uh, you'd have to look at the contract to verify mm. that. Uh, Netflix also has their own contract. I believe that got uh, uh, negotiated in 2019. Right, so they directly negotiated with SAG to get their own contract. Uh, and I believe, I have it in front of me, it looks like the scale rate is 87 per hour with a uh, two-hour minimum. And that sounds a lot bigger than mm. it is uh, when you don't consider that actors do not work eight-hour days, 40 hours a week. They usually work a couple hours a month if they're lucky. Right. And that's, uh, you know, this is something that came up after the article, and I didn't really address it in the article, but... You know, I think kind of understandably, some people might hear that and go, oh, boo-hoo, they don't work eight hours a day. Like, maybe they should if they want to make money, right? And the thing is, it's just not that kind of work. It's not, it's not the kind of thing that, where there is, like, consistently just, you know, a, a constant flow of work. You need to kind of seek out stuff and find, find shows. And it's, it's like any kind of freelance or independent contracting work. It's, it, it comes and goes. And part of the job is like tracking down gigs to work on. And so it's not going to be con- like acting for eight hours a day, which is mm-hmm. the part that they get paid for. They only get paid for the part where they show up and act. Uh, and that actually, there's a quote from Michael Schwalb uh, that deals with that. Uh, Every war scene, battle, dying soldier needs a voice. And I've done sessions of three plus hours where you have to do nothing but 30, 10 to 30 second long screams of dying mm-hmm. men and battle shouting over and over all that for $200 with no residuals, royalties, or other income. Right. And that ties back to what we talked about at the beginning, that, that number of like maximum people making $600 to dub a feature film. That was that number two number against two. Batman. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, just it's like the amount of money that that made. Well, we don't know the exact numbers, but it's like those actors deserve much more than that. They made it happen. They made it so people could watch that movie in English. <laughs> Yeah, and why do they get away with it? There's a, a few theories. My biggest theory is because they can. Like, yeah. I was telling you before we started recording, I am, like, so passionate about everybody getting paid more, but if somebody said, hey, JP, do you want to be in the next season of Grappler Baki? It would be very hard for me to say no. You know, like... Yeah. It, it's It's tough because all of the actors are fans of anime, and... You know, there's multiple confirmable situations of people paying thousands of dollars just to be in an anime because it was a Kickstarter tier for a dub. Yeah, I mean, that's always the problem. That's the problem in the game industry too, right? Like when it's a dream job, people will give up on a lot of things they might otherwise demand from a job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the other aspect, which which Coda also talked about and is included in my article, is that I'm because of the the kind of stigma against voice acting early on and because SAG wasn't kind of pushing to to improve the the overall conditions for voice actors, that kind of just became the norm. And companies are, I, I mentioned this earlier, if they don't have to, they're not going to like reduce their profit margins. Yeah. They're going to just keep it at that rate until somebody forces them to make it a higher rate. It's the same thing in my industry. People will line up around the block to be on a film set. I've mm. seen it. I mean, not that exaggerated, but I'm in a lot of Facebook groups that are like, hey, we're making a movie. We're not paying anybody. And you'll get 50 posts like, do you need someone for the camera? Right, right. It, you know? Um, so why is this such a hot topic now? I have a couple theories with that. Uh, my big one that I, I think caused it is that the pandemic really showed just how well these companies are doing. Uh, Sony yeah. bought Crunchyroll for over a billion dollars when people were struggling to pay their rent. Uh, you know, there were companies that were showing record profits for the history of that company. You know, when other people were having trouble getting even a, a minimum wage job. Yeah, I think it's just in general when you see those the numbers go up, or even just I think a big part of this is the perception that comes from like now Crunchyroll is in the big leagues and Funimation is right. Like they're yeah. both part of Sony. And like at that scale, it just becomes kind of untenable to be like, oh, we're a tiny little anime company. We can't afford to do this. Like Sony, people have pointed this out. I didn't point this out in the article because whatever, I had had to keep it from being way too long. But Sony does union shows. Oh, yeah. They have movies and things they produce that are union, right? So like it's not unheard of even within Sony to do it. Uh, so th- this has been a long time coming. And so I like to think of 
right now is a second bubble period. Not everybody's going to agree with me on that. Uh, but anime had a bubble period early to like 2000s-ish to maybe like 2010, 2012, where anime was just this big hot thing. There were tons of companies. People were uh, licensing things left and right. You know, the the stores were having just so much anime on the shelves that it could conceivably take you an hour to look at every single title. And then something happened <laughs> and the economy uh, and those companies started to shut down. CPM, Bandai, Genion, ADV, kind of, and a lot of other smaller ones had to close the doors because they were biting off more than they could chew. Uh, and just like sales weren't keeping up with that. Uh, and during this era, era, we were sold on this idea that anime companies were the underdog. They needed the fan support to keep existing. That was true to an extent uh, because, you know, like Funimation was not a you know, $100 million a year company at that time. Uh, but a lot of it also just comes from greed. Uh, you know, Funimation and Sentai specifically, while this was spun as a great idea, a positive idea at the time, they had in-house studios to keep costs down. And you think, well, that's really smart. But it was so they could have non-union houses mm. in Texas and just make these dubs for as cheap as possible. So wh- briefly, why Texas? Texas is a right-to-work state, which uh, we we haven't really talked about this, but it restricts the ability of the union to basically control who works and doesn't work on a show. Uh, So that removes their main bargaining chip. They can't really keep uh, non-union... They they can't keep, like, union workers from working on non-union shows. They can't kind of keep those things in two categories, and that's what is, like... That's what the union uses to make sure that companies play ball is like if all the big actors are in the union and then you can't access them unless you sign the union contract. And so right to work laws are designed to prevent that. Oh yeah. And yeah, just, you know, anime for a long time has just been about keeping the costs as low as possible. There was an interview. This is one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Daryl Surratt talked about this on the first episode of anime world order. Whoa. There was a fortune interview with John Ledford from ADV slash Sentai. And it, it's about, uh, just like how profitable ADV was becoming at the time. And the quote is the hardcore fan base is very rabid. They will get behind you as a company. You don't have to spend a dollar on marketing. You just have to be friends with them. Uh, And uh, kind of furthermore, I actually, I read uh, against my better judgment. I read most of Stephen Foster's book. He was an ADR director for ADV for a long time. And even by his own admission, he had no clue what he was doing. He was just like fucking around making these dubs. Uh, Nobody cared as long as people kept buying stuff. And ADV had this habit and continues it as Sentai redubbing what were union projects to begin with, or at least presumably union. They Mm -hmm. they redubbed Akira. They redubbed Area 88. They redubbed all the Netflix titles that they get. They redid Vampire Hunter D. My theory was to avoid paying union residuals, but I'm learning that they don't get those to begin with. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. What else did I have? Um, oh, the, there was a there's a rumor. I we weren't able to confirm this, but there was a rumor that the Yu Yu Hakusho actors only made fifty dollars an episode during this time. If you do the math, that's not it's, too yeah. hard to uh, believe is true. But for for a ballpark number, Funimation's current rate ranges from about $35 to $75 based on the amount of work being done uh, per hour. And so, yeah, if you consider that uh, a character is not going to be speaking for all 24 minutes of the episode, uh, and there may or may not be a two-hour minimum on that, right? I mean, $50 an episode is, uh, it's not good, but it's not that surprising. That, That would make sense. So I called that period in my notes the bubblegum crisis. And the next part, <laughs> that was a crisis for the industry. The next part I call the bubblegum crash. And this Ooh. is more of a better bubble getting bursted. Uh, why are actors fighting so much for union representation now? And we've talked about it a little bit already, but a big part of it is that major players are now getting involved in anime. Netflix, Amazon, just the other week, Disney was trying to sell the idea to Japanese companies about you know doing anime projects with them. They've already done, you know, at least the Star Wars thing. Yep, yep. Um, a, the biggest one probably is the Sony Crunchyroll buyout. 
That's the one that really sparked. That this. is, yeah, that's a big one because it's not. It's it's different when it's like Netflix and Disney getting into anime. This is the opposite. This is like, an, these are anime companies graduating to the big leagues. Yeah, uh, and and I I did write about that a little bit. In uh, I wrote this article in 2018. I think I mentioned that already. Where at that time, uh, Funimation had been uh, purchased by Sony, I believe, or was that 2019? I, it, it was around that time. Yeah, I don't remember the exact. Uh, Crunchyroll was owned by AT and T at the time. Both billion Still, dollar companies. Yep, yep. Sim- similar situation. <laughs> and so now it's just like it's even bigger now. And and Netflix, I talked about. You know, regardless of your feelings of Netflix, they're doing union projects because they really don't have an excuse not to. Um, there was a quote from Rachel Mezer. This was from a Twitter post, uh, and this just kind of echoes what you were saying uh, that Funimation generally pays $35 an hour for a dub, but she also goes into that you don't have a whole lot of job security. She talks mm-hmm. about that she needed a day off once because of some health reason. I don't know, she broke her ankle or something. And they threatened to replace her. Uh, and Stephanie Shea uh, had a similar uh, quote. A lot of us are afraid to say anything because we're being threatened by being replaced or we have been replaced. We're taught that we're replaceable. It's just a voice. And so much of our work is reliant on networking and relationships that we don't want to get on someone's bad list. I think a lot of actors are afraid to say anything. It's just like, it's unbelievable from every, every angle of this. Uh, they say that legally you can't be blacklisted for trying to organize, but yeah, you know, like what's stopping them from just not calling you? Um, yeah, there was actually a similar situation uh, that uh, voice actor Kyle McCarley talked about in, uh, in the article, which is that he was recast when he tried to demand a union contract because he's, he's in SAG-AFTRA, and so he said, you know, well, I'll work on it, but only if this is a union show. And they're like, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> then we'll get somebody else. And he also mentioned, actually, interestingly, because, you know, we're talking about, you know, generally companies are going to try to keep their profit margins high, uh, he's seen instances where Crunchyroll and Funimation would pay actors more to avoid, from his perspective, to avoid uh, doing a union contract, right? So they would like individually be willing to kind of like pay someone enough to be like, let's just not do union, but we'll pay you more. That does not surprise me. I've heard this in other companies where they'll spend all of this money to avoid the union, or they'll make propaganda. One of my favorite ones, I think it was, I want to say it was Delta. You'd have to look this up. There was oh, a, I think I know what you're talking about. There was a pamphlet that was like, union dues are $600 mm-hmm. a year. You could buy a video game console with that. Yep. To which I think like, when I joined the union, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this, when I joined the union, my wage almost tripled. Wow. I could buy a lot of video game consoles with that, even after dues. Dues are not that much. It depends on the union, obviously. Yeah, we haven't talked about that. But yeah, there's, there's, uh, there are dues, which is one of the contentions that sometimes you know, people will debate about. Uh, be- the reason is because, well, there's work that needs to be done for all of the stuff yeah. we talked about, for negotiating contracts, for organizing labor action. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's the money that you're paying into the union so that it can fight for you. <laughs> it's, I mean, if you're not working at all, uh, that can be... A lot to chew. Mm. Uh, so, for example, uh, to get into uh, the chapter of my union, I believe it was twenty five hundred dollars for an initiation mm. fee. Uh, there is around three hundred dollars a year uh, quarterly dues, so that's split four times, or you could pay it all at once for a discount. And then they take like a like negligible amount uh, out of your checks, even with all of that factored. It is still night and day difference to the non-union wages I was getting. Mm-hmm. And it also comes with a big thing, especially in my industry, is division of labor. When a, a non-union sound person is working on a movie, they may be expected to do any and everything. Hey, could you uh, help us with this light? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this, uh, go get this coffee or go, go help with that prop. And you're just, you're just happy to be there. It happens all of the time I'll see ads like we're looking for a open-minded, cooperative sound person who wouldn't also, you know, mind helping with the grip work. Yeah. And now you're doing multiple people's jobs 
for the same amount of money. There's nothing wrong with getting people coffee. I don't want to make that sound like it's a like a condescending thing, but unless you're getting it for your own department, that's not your job. Right. You know, it's not your job as the sound technician to get the director a coffee. Um, so we have uh, different rules about like what you can and cannot do, what you even down to like touching another person's equipment. We joke about it all the time on set. Like uh, I had a what's called an apple box. It's just like a wood box that you can stand on, or you, there's a variety of reasons you can use it. And one of the other people on set had to move my box because I was dealing with something, and he looked at me. He's like. Sorry, dude. I hope you don't call the hall on me. <laughs> it's like we tell jokes like that all of the time. Um, and this actually it comes into something that I, I spoke to spoke to. I asked her at a Q and A. Laura Post is a is another voice actor who I believe is SAG, and I talked to her about remote remote work. Remote work is a big deal for a lot of people. It opens up the talent pool for studios. You can hire anybody from anywhere. It's also great for actors. Now somebody in, I don't know, Iowa could work in a New York or L.A. production without having to move. But on the other hand, now voice actors are required to know how to use sound gear, yep. know how to use editing software, required to buy all of this equipment that otherwise they shouldn't have to buy or operate because that would be somebody like me who is required mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To, to own or operate that equipment. And it gets really complicated, especially when you consider that they're not getting additional rental for that either, which a sound technician normally would. Um, right, that's another area where the higher rate, where the, you know, the rate seems high, but it's factoring in all that stuff too. Yeah, there's, well, and there's a lot of like side hustles in, mm-hmm. uh, in doing this type of work. Like, in uh, an example from what uh, what I do on a daily basis. So if you have a, a movie where there's going to be music playing during a scene and someone has to talk during a scene, you'll usually have what's called a playback operator. And they'll have this little, like almost like a hearing aid that you'll put in the actor's ear so they can hear the music. You can record the dialogue without that, you know, being over, without the music interfering. Mm. But if something like that happens last minute and you can't get someone in there, they might, I don't know, do some kind of simplified version of playing music and just give one of the people on the sound team a raise for the day. So that Mm, that, that kind of stuff can happen. That would not happen in a non-union setting. You would just be expected to do it and shut up and like it. Um, Kind of jumping around, I... I, I'm part of this voice actor discord mm-hmm. and I asked them like, what are some things that you would like us to talk about? Um, I mentioned the one about the scale, uh, scale rate already, but there was Sarah Sikora, I, I think is how you say that name. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted us to talk about residuals, which we've talked about a little bit, but just especially with things like Jujutsu Kaisen or right. Mugen Train. Which are just shattering records. Yeah, and like I mentioned before, with the new SAG contract, a Crunchyroll, like, you know, a show on Crunchyroll or just a, a dubbed, uh, dubbed show Funimation put out, right? Those would probably not have the residuals requirement, but that Jujutsu Kaisen movie would because that was oh, yeah. a theatrical run. <laughs> so those people, even if they were still paid 600 an hour, they would also get residuals based on how well the movie did, which it turns out was very well. Yeah. I, I feel like 15 million is too high you know like you look at something like Jujutsu Kaisen or Dragon Ball Super or uh, Demon Slayer the TV show like those are big properties that people will buy streaming services to watch and to not get residuals for that either you know you think of all the merchandising that they're selling on those things alone yeah I mean I think that's I, I I think there should be more for, uh, for for actors in general, but I think it does uh, it makes a certain amount of sense in terms of like fifteen million isn't not actually that high in the grand scheme of these streaming services, right? Like uh, what was it? Netflix has like a hundred something million, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm I'm thinking in the anime world because right, I think right. the last I checked, Crunchyroll is what five five or six million paid yeah, subscribers. So. Um. Bringing up residuals again, I actually had an anecdote. Um, so I, I've worked with 
I've, I've worked with a couple of voice actors without realizing it, but in particular, I worked with somebody that was an actor on the Voltron thing. I think that's DreamWorks. I don't know if that's actually yeah, it is. anime. It is. Uh, so they it's, worked on that not, series. I would not count it as anime, but it's, there, there's it's, a lot of episodes. Yeah, you know, like seventy or eighty episodes, and they they told me that they had a very good time. They'd be under the same contract, I believe, even though it's not anime. Uh, oh yeah, because the, cause the Netflix a, contract is just a dubbing contract. It's not an anime dubbing contract. Yeah. Uh, so they they had a great time working on this, but they told me that it was the worst pay for the most amount of work that they've done in a long time. And they actually got cheated out of uh, any type of uh, royalties or residuals from merchandising because they got soundalikes to do any toys or video games. Wow. <laughs> and uh, even though they had a really good time, they said they will never do that type of work again. And that was with the SAG contract? Uh, I, I, believe, I believe that was it. I mean, if it was Netflix, it had to be, right? Right, but I'm just thinking about when didn't that show end before the net before Netflix had the I'm not contract? sure. Maybe it, it, I can't remember. It's I, I don't remember specifically if that was union or not. I mm-hmm. think it, it would have almost had to have been because that's a like a regular TV actor. I don't think they would do some mm-hmm. like scummy Netflix low budget non union job. Mm-hmm. Um oh, I had another thing and I, I'm escaping uh we've got just under 15 minutes is there anything that i have not talked about that you think we should talk about we could talk about kaiji tang's normal work week because anime yeah, pays so, so I think, little i think we covered most of like what was in my article in some form uh so kaiji tang is uh one of the main characters in jujitsu kaisen i believe gojo is hmm. who he plays uh, he was also in Grappler Baki. He plays Retsukayo. And uh, so this was, a, I believe, a direct response to your article. Uh, and he talked about how during a given work week, uh, just because anime is not his main source of income, I don't think there's any voice actor where anime is their main source of income. I've heard that you're lucky if you make $20,000 a year from anime. Yeah, uh, and there's a lot of actors, uh, especially SAG ones who I spoke to or, or heard about who just stopped working on anime because they're like, it's just, it's not worth it. I can't do union work in anime. So I'm just going to like, going to go do stuff that pays more. <laughs> yeah. Was that, that's Crispin Freeman and Steve Blum. Yeah. Probably yeah, I talked to Steve Bloom. Yeah. And oh, he Bloom, said that. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Crispin Freeman was one of my favorites. Uh, I really liked his work on the Bo- boogie pop phantom dub. Mm. It, most people like him for Helsing. <laughs> I like the uh, more obscure show. Uh, but uh, so Kaiji Tang was talking about 12 to 20 hours a week is just doing audio descriptions. I'm interpreting that as anything from, you know, the automated voice on a phone to. Uh, so one of the union training things I had to do was an OSHA training, and that was all transcribed by voice. So it probably something like that. I think audio description, isn't that referring to uh, the accessibility thing? Oh, yeah. I hadn't even considered that. You're, yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Uh, it's still, it's voice acting work, right? But it's, it's for a different audience. It's for, uh, for blind viewers or like visually impaired. The first yeah. time I watched Big Mouth, I accidentally had that version on and didn't know what that was. <laughs> It's kind of cool. It's like it turns the movie into a radio drama. Yeah, I got yeah. so confused because it was like, you know, the TV show's going on. They're like, I don't know, character A walked over to the dresser. I'm like, what is happening? This is yeah. a weird bit. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's great. I mean, uh, obviously it has like a really functional purpose, but I think yes. it's like, it's cool that it becomes its own art form. Like you could just listen to it on its own, even if you are sighted, right? And be like, wow, cool. This is like a radio version of this movie. <laughs> uh, he also does... Audiobooks for ABC Mouse. I'm not familiar with that. I'm assuming it's like an educational mm-hmm. thing ABC does. Uh, lots of video game work. It says falling off cliffs, being lit on fire. So probably like Walla type mm-hmm. Foley sounds. What's Walla for the audience? <laughs> That's when a group of people do like in- indistinguishable crowd noise. Uh, for the background of a scene. Referred to as Walla, I believe, because that's the most effective way to get the sound is for everyone to say Walla over and over. That makes sense. Yeah. 
I thought you were going to say it was like, because Chris Walla, that's, I think, <laughs> the Death Cab for Cutie guitarist. Um, let's see. He also talks about working on indie projects, uh, DMing a D&D show, fixing mm. ADR for major motion pictures. That's the thing that comes up that a lot of people yep. don't hear about is that sometimes actors will just refuse to do ADR, so they have to get sound-alikes. They're, oh goodness, uh, Anime World Order did an interview with, it might have been Richard Epcar, mm. where he talked about having to replace actors and they didn't find out until the movie premiered. Like, wait a minute, that's not me. Uh, also teaching, a lot of voice actors run workshops um, and then uh, commercials and audio plays. So that's, that's a lot of non-anime income <laughs> coming in. Uh, but also anime conventions. And this is a more radical thing that I'm going to say, but anime conventions, in a way, subsidize the poor rates that these actors are getting. Yeah, I've definitely, I've definitely heard that in terms of, yeah, the uh, I guess if they're making appearance fees or things like that, or if they're selling merch. Yeah. I don't know if a lot of them do appearance fees. Yeah, they might not. There was actually, it was... Uh, I think just this week, which this has probably been public knowledge for a long time, just no one tweeted about it, that Anime Expo charges the actors to have autograph tables. Oh, I didn't know that. Yikes. Yeah, it was it was something like if you don't charge money for your autograph, then you can just have a table. But if you charge money, you need to pay $200. Oh. And it was unclear whether that was per session or just for the whole weekend. But then they'll use you as a advertising right. point to buy a badge for their convention. Uh, I know smaller cons, I don't think, tend to pay fees, but can't speak for all of them. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, this is, this is it's a big mess. Um, I don't know what the answer is. I think that we're going to find out in the coming years uh, now that now that Crunchyroll and, and Netflix and Amazon, these are all like undeniably giant companies yeah. that can't make up an excuse about not being able to afford it. You know, Funimation, when they were doing Dragon Ball back in 2000s, they had a little bit of a, like, you know, we're, we're nobodies. Nobody knows who we are. Dragon Ball, I don't think it was on TV yet. Yeah, let's throw them a bone. Uh, but... I don't know if you've had this uh, same experience. It, it, it's felt like a factory for a long time to me. Like the dubs that they used to do, mm. the trailers, everything, it, it, it seemed like there was still some fun to be had in the office. And while the recent dubs are, they're all very high quality, mm -hmm. it's felt like an assembly line. Um, and I, I think that, I mean, I think that's happening across the industry, right? There's... Too much anime. Yeah. <laughs> There's so much being made. Like, it's happening on the Japan side, too, with animators. Well, and it doesn't help that... Uh, it, it slowed down a little bit, but simuldubs really mm -hmm. threw a wrench into the system. Uh, I, I want to say a lot of people attribute Space Dandy as the first simuldub. I think it was actually Kurokami. Kurokami. Several, first, yeah, several yeah. years before. And Bandai did that. I think Justin Savakis was involved in that in some mm. capacity, because I remember reading him talk about how just absolute hell it was to do the simul dub because like you'd get the you get the final version of the show at like three in the morning which you know for japan probably not three in the morning i don't know what their time differential mm -hmm. is and so you'd have to stay up all night dubbing the show and you know now funimation and sentai i think those are the only two that do this workflow you know they're doing a couple of those every season now and it's extra hard for dubbing. I mean, like, you know, there's there's simulcasts where, like, the the subbed version of that, right, where it's it's subtitling, and that's hard enough. But you don't actually have to get like actors to record and then you know mix and master and all of that. <laughs> you oh, just yeah. have to. I say just. It's of course a lot of work, but you need to translate and then like, you know, do the subtitle, uh, you know, positioning and timing and stuff. But but. I can only imagine how difficult it is to do all that. Basically all of that plus the acting and yeah. recording part. Well, and, and coronavirus only made that harder. 
because like overnight they had to figure out a workflow that would allow them to keep their schedule moving and it has slowed down slowed down quite a bit but even if they're delayed by two weeks they're still dubbing things as we go and i i think it was like the 67th ish episode of my hero academia was their first like all uh remote work episode and you know, logistically from an actor standpoint, but also from a sound engineer standpoint, that is so much work trying to match all of those different microphones from different environments. And they did, mm. they did a good job. Uh, but I, I just, I can't imagine how much more difficult all of this has gotten. Uh, I feel like, you know, we're in like the last five minutes here. We should probably talk about what can, what can be done. And like, specifically, I know we talked about it at the top, but like, Fans always want to know, what can I do, right? Because it feels frustrating to just sit there and be like, this is bad. What, what yeah. can I do about it? I, I mean, the, the answer is not to boycott. Uh, unless it's like part of a larger strategy. Yeah, yeah. unless the actors are telling you to. Uh, I guess th- the most that we can do is just be loud about it. You know, if these companies know that we want the actors to be treated better, that's short of going to the office and saying, hey, I don't know, Captain Sony, do something about, like, there's, you know, what else are you going to do? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, follow, like I said before, follow the lead of of the actors. And similarly, you know, if you're concerned about animator pay or translator pay, same kind of thing. And yeah, like, in this kind of wave of actors speaking up about it, I think the thing that fans can do, which is what Stephanie Shea suggested at, at the end of my article, is, uh, you know, respond to that, you know, re- retweet that, whatever, like, be be loud and been vocal about it and tag the studios and like let everybody know that there's demand for this. Um, and I think also just in terms of like kind of looking ahead and, and a little bit of positivity is, you know, we're complaining a lot about the companies that aren't doing it, but there are some dubbing studios that do union work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes it's a little sporadic, but uh, you know, I've, I've heard good things about, I believe bang zoom does a few. Yeah, um, that wouldn't yeah, surprise they, me. Like, and uh, the one I've, the one that some people said uh, said very good things about is um, uh, NYAV Post. It's very good about they, it. Yeah, uh, in my opinion, they're the best in the game. I, I think they do the absolute best work just across the board. I've never had a single complaint about. I don't always like the show, but uh, the the work that they put out, like Bell, was mm. unbelievable. Yeah, I think like I just I wanted to make sure I got that in there that like there is some good being done yes. there and and like as much as you know i'm i'm an anti-capitalist right like and i'm going to always complain about the general tendency of what companies are going to do sometimes especially with like a small enough company you sometimes have someone who's willing to say like you know we could make more money by screwing these people over but we're not going to right cuz maybe it's founded by actors and they they believe in sag and whatever right so that's a good sign, and I think just more of this pressure and the fact that there are those examples is like good because it can actors can point at that and say if they can do it, so can you. Yeah, it's it's tough, but as the the phrase goes, there is no ethical consumption under right, capitalism. Right. You know, the the only other option you'd have is just don't watch anime, and I don't Which, think either of us are willing to do all right, that. You know what? We're we're we haven't even talked about this yet, but something that always comes up here is like pirate anime right or i mean like you said don't watch it which are effectively about the same thing in terms of the message that they send to mm-hmm. the the studios and i don't think that's that that's not giving them much information that's just telling them like yeah you're just pirating it or you're not watching it that's like doesn't tell them why it's yeah. not part of an organized movement to change yeah. it <laughs> you gotta be vocal yeah I, I know my opinions i I buy a lot of stuff i'm streaming a lot of stuff but my opinions on piracy has changed a lot now that sony Owns them. I don't feel bad if somebody pirates now. I still prefer to get the just because it's higher quality. I'm. I know I'm not here to represent Azuki, but yeah, as I, someone who you know runs a, a legal uh, manga distribution platform, uh, please don't pirate. You're also a little guy, though. You're you know, little guy and and like not owned by any. Yeah, yeah I, owned I'm, by our own workers. So. I am strictly talking about if the parent company is a multi-billion-dollar organization. <laughs> I am not, and also manga. I think that the the stance is totally different. I think that's yeah. a much smaller operation. I feel very bad when people pirate manga. I don't think I don't think you should pirate from any of these companies. I actually do think like if 
if you wanted to boycott and send a message, I don't think piracy is the way to send that message. I think not watching it at all is yeah. the way you would send that message. You're, you're kind of having it both ways if you pirate it. <laughs> anyway, this has been the Gonzo.Moe No Name Anime Show. Thank you, Evan, for joining us. Uh, you can find uh, where to follow him in our show notes on Twitter. Uh, I guess thank you for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs>